go through the Bible, we see the New Testament says the true Israel is the church of God. That the church is God's people, God's called out people, God's chosen nation. We are the church. We are Israel. And so everything that we see prescribed to Israel in the Old Testament applies to us today as the church. Who's to blame for the mess we find ourselves in this nation? I believe the church is responsible I believe the church needs to be revived. And I believe when the church gets back to where God wants the church to be, then we will begin to impact the culture and see the changes happen that we want to see happen. It's not that the nation itself needs revival. It's God's people. If my people will humble themselves and seek my face, repent of their sins, and call upon my name, then I will hear your prayers. Forgive your sin and heal your land. It's up to us to do what we need to to do. In fact, we can restore hope to our nation by recognizing and repenting of the church's sins. Let me invite you to stand, if you're able, this morning in reverence for the reading of God's holy word. Daniel chapter 9, starting at verse 1, the prophet writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The first year of Darius, the son of Haasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from Your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Let's pray together. Father, we come humbly into your presence now. We, we praise you, Lord, for drawing us here today. We praise you for the moving of your Spirit already in our midst. We, we sense his presence, and he indeed is welcome in this place. Father, we ask that as we turn to your word that the Spirit breathed out through Daniel so many years ago, God, make it alive to us today illuminate to us, God, the meaning and the intention of this text. Press it deep into our hearts, and God, may we, may we embrace it and live it out. Father, lead us to your throne through confession and repentance and through trust in your Son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, speak, and I pray that you would draw us to obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The book of Daniel was written at a time of crisis for God's people. The kingdom of Israel had been split into two nations, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. Israel had already been conquered and was off the map politically at the time Daniel was writing. But in the year 586 B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah was conquered by Babylon. 
And through this conquest, the Babylonians carried off into exile many and most of the people of Judah. God's people found themselves in a foreign land conquered by foreign invaders. And it appeared to be a very hopeless time. In fact, the reason why they were there is because God was fed up with the spiritual rebellion of His people. He indicates that clearly in Scripture in the book of Second Chronicles chapter 36. Starting at verse 15, listen to these words. And the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by His messengers because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised His words, and scoffed at His prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against His people until there was no remedy. Therefore He brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into His hand. And all the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his officers, he brought them all to Babylon. They burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burned all its fortified buildings with fire, and destroyed all its valuable articles. And those who had escaped from the sword he carried away into Babylon. And they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. The reason why Judah was conquered was because they had turned away from God. And God had said time and time again in the Old Testament, if you turn from me, I will turn from you. If you follow me, I will bless you. He warned them time and time again, and yet they kept forsaking Him. I mentioned the mistake we have of seeing Israel in the Old Testament and saying it's the United States, but in reality it's the church. What He is saying to His people, He is saying to us today. We find the application right here in the passage. First of all, if we're going to have hope in this nation, we must return to Scripture. God's people, the church, must return to Scripture. We need a renewed focus on the Word of God. Daniel shows that for us. First of all, his spiritual convictions. He gives us the the chronology of all of this. He had been in Babylon for about 65 years. Jerusalem had been destroyed for about 50 years. And he is writing this passage. In fact, he's writing it the same year as what happened in chapter 5, the writing on the wall the fall of the, of the king of Babylon, and now a new nation. Persia has conquered, and political dominance has shifted once again. And in the midst of the time of uncertainty, Daniel turns to the only certain source of hope that we have, and he turns to the Word of God. And Daniel, we see, focusing on the Scripture. He was a man that was used of God in mighty ways. We read that in chapters 1 through 6, all the stories about Daniel. The reason why he was a mighty man of God, able to do mighty things, because he was a man of spiritual convictions. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of the Word. God takes individuals like that and uses them in mighty ways. A fine example for us. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah. And in fact, he identifies Jeremiah's writing in verse 2 as the word of the Lord. He said it wasn't Jeremiah's opinion. 
It wasn't the prophet's best guess as to what may happen. No, when Jeremiah wrote the Scripture, he was writing God's Word, the inspired truth of God Almighty. That was Daniel's conviction. That must be our conviction too, that this is a Word from God. This isn't man's opinion. This is not up for debate. What it says is right is right. What it says is wrong is wrong. What it says we must do, we must do. This is the Word of God. It's our spiritual conviction. And perhaps Daniel had read this passage time and time again, yet now the meaning of that text really drove home. And perhaps you've done that too, reading your Bible, and you've read something many times, but then... On one occasion, the meaning. And the meaning doesn't change. But maybe the application does, and God impresses upon your heart because the Word is living and it's active. And he reads this passage from Jeremiah, specifically chapter 25, verse 11 through 13. And this whole land shall be a desolation and a horror, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans. I will make it an everlasting desolation. I will bring upon that land all my words, which I pronounced against it, all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied against the nations. He read that and it said 70 years. 70 years was almost up. And so it led Daniel to react. We see... The Word of God is a spiritual correction. It talks about the desolation of Jerusalem. The reason why was because they had sinned. But God's Word has said That's why it happens. That's what will happen when you sin against God. There's consequences. And God's discipline is a form of correction. And His Word gives us direction. What to believe. How to act. How to live. His people had forsaken the Word. And now if there was going to be any hope... They had to return to the Word and turn to its correction. There must be a knowledge of Scripture. And, and indeed, we're dealing with the problem of that in America today. We have biblical illiteracy. People just don't know what the Bible says. But I would argue the problem is even deeper than that. I would argue that the church, with all of its knowledge of Scripture and all the Bibles we have at our, at our disposal, all of, of the technology we have to search the Scripture like never before, with all the knowledge we have of the Bible, I would argue the church is not doing the Bible. The church is not loving its neighbor. The church is not sharing the good news. The church is not speaking the truth in love. The church is not God's hands and God's feet and God's compassion to this lost and dying world. The church is not being the church. Because we've got all this knowledge up here in the head, but it's not making a difference in our hearts and lives. Folks, we need that. We need that. Here is Daniel turning to Scripture in a time of distress. Somebody else in the Bible did that too. Jesus. Remember when he was being tempted in the wilderness following his baptism? What did Jesus do? He quoted the Scriptures. He found strength and inspiration in the Bible. But you know who else quoted the Scripture? Satan. You see, the devil knows what the Bible says. So just having a knowledge of the Scripture is not enough. The problem is the devil knew the Scripture, but he did not submit to it. He did not have faith and trust in the Word of God. That's where we need to be, church. 
Believing this is the Word of God and then allowing it to transform us and to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. We must return to Scripture if there's any hope of revival in this church, any hope of renewal in our nation. But secondly, we must repent of sin. Repent of sin. Daniel's Bible study led him to prayer. Specifically, intercession. Praying on behalf of his people. And again, Israel was his nation, but in reality, Israel was God's people. And so as he prayed for God's people, he is praying in a way in which we should pray. Pray for the church today. We see Daniel's humility in verse 3. He says, So I gave my attention to the Lord God. I gave my attention, my focus, my concentration was on God and God alone. That's the way it ought to be in prayer. Have you ever been talking to somebody on the phone that was distracted by something going on on the other end? I've had that happen a lot this week. But I've been talking to Nancy, and the kids are running around doing kid things, and I'm trying to talk to her, and she's trying to yell at the kids, and it feels like, you know, I don't have her undivided attention. I wonder how many times we, we do that with God in prayer. We say we're coming to God to pray, but our attention, our focus is just elsewhere. But Daniel said, I, I gave my attention to the Lord God. Why? To seek Him. To seek Him. Just to be with God. To have fellowship with God. Have conversation with God. And we have that privilege of prayer as God's people, God's children. We can come to the throne room of grace with boldness. We can seek Him. Prayer and supplication. Asking God to supply needs. Our needs. The needs of others. With fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Powerful prayer begins with the proper attitude. Daniel's attitude was one of self-denial, self-abasement, the act of fasting and wearing of sackcloth and ashes. Those were external signs of an internal attitude. He was humbling himself, acknowledging, God, I need you. God, we need you. And God, I'm going to demonstrate that by focusing on you and denying myself of these things so that I may trust and turn to you. And dial in to you. Daniel's humility, followed by Daniel's honesty. In verse 4, it begins one of the longest prayers we have in the Bible. And what's amazing to me, what inspired this prayer? The promises of God. Because he, he searched the scriptures, found where Jeremiah, by the word of the Lord, said it would be 70 years, and that truth inspired him to pray. When we pray, folks, let's pray the Bible. Let's pray the promises of God. Let's say, God, your word says this. May it be. May it be. Daniel's honesty begins speaking about man's sinfulness. He starts with confession. In verse 4, I prayed to the Lord and my God and confessed. What was he confessing? Well, look at verse 20. Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people. He was praying for his own sins. It doesn't do you any good to try to pray for other sins if you don't pray for your own sins first. In the Old Testament when the high priest on the Day of Atonement made a sacrifice for the sins of the people, he first had to make a sacrifice for himself and then make a sacrifice on behalf of the people and bring the blood into 
the Holy of Holies. You've got to pray and confess your own sins before you can confess the sins of others. To confess means to agree with God. And he agreed with God that what he did was wrong and what the people were doing was wrong. And I like what Daniel does here in his honesty. He refused to distance himself from the people because he says in, in, in verse 5, we have sinned. He doesn't say they have sinned. And it's so easy for us isn't it, as, as evangelical Christians to say, well, those people, those people, them, them sinners, God's judging our nation because them heathens out there believing and doing what they're doing. Daniel doesn't do that. He says, God, we have sinned. We as a church, they say, God, I have sinned. God, we as your people, we have sinned. We have turned from Scripture. We have turned from your truth. We are sinners. We have sinned means to miss the mark. We have missed your intentioned mark for us. God, we have committed iniquity, which means to do wrong. That's to acknowledge there is such a thing as wrong. Our society tries to tell us today there's no such thing as right or wrong. Just make it up as you go. But do iniquity means you do something wrong. There is a wrong. And there is a right. Daniel's honesty is man's sinfulness. Our sinfulness. He, he says we have refused to follow your word. And he contrasts God's greatness and his faithfulness to man. He says in verse 4, Lord my God... I, Alas, O God, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness for those who love Him. We haven't done that, God. Moreover, verse 6, we've not listened to your servants, the prophets. Who were the prophets? They were the ones who preached God's Word. They were the ones who spoke on behalf of God. And he says, we've not listened. You and your grace have given us men to speak the truth and we have neglected it. We've turned. And he says, we're all guilty. Kings, princes, fathers, all the people. There's, there's universal guilt. There's enough guilt to go around. It's man's sinfulness. We have rebelled. We've rebelled by turning from the preaching of the Word. That's who we are. Then he speaks about God's righteousness. In verses 7 through 14, the Lord... The Lord is right. He is pure. He is holy. In fact, God is the standard. We talked about right and wrong. What's right? God. We talked about holy, holiness and purity. What's that mean? It's God. God is God, and we're not. That's the problem. There's a spiritual disconnect there, and that spiritual disconnect leads us to act in ways that are wrong, in ways that are sinful. He points to God's righteousness. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame, literally the shame of face. The shame of face is ours. It belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, princes, fathers, because we have sinned against you. Not they, we. We're in this together, folks. As the church, we're the body of Christ. We have turned from God. And that's what's caused this problems in our nation. 
We need the people of God to get back to being the people of God. Verse 9, To the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His teachings which He set before us through His servants, the prophets. The Lord our God, His voice, through the preaching of His Word. Again, that's ascribing to this book all the authority and power And any man who dares to speak on behalf of God better be speaking this truth. He better be speaking this word. If else, if he's not doing it, he ain't preaching. He's just giving a speech. But if he is proclaiming what this book has to say, it is the word of God itself. To the degree in which it is accurate and true to the text, it is God speaking to us. Indeed, all Israel, verse 11, has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, as was written in the law of Moses. We're getting what we deserve. God, you told us it was going to happen. Lo and behold, here it is. He confirmed his words, verse 12, which he had spoken against us and against our rulers, brought on us great calamity. Verse 13, as is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us. The problem? Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity, our wrong, and giving attention to your truth, which is the Scriptures. That's the problem. God, you're bringing all this calamity on us. Instead of turning back to you and back to your truth, we're trying to blame everybody else. We're turning towards the politicians for the answers. We're turning towards the education system for the answers. And God says, turn to my truth. Turn to my truth. All these other things will fall in line. Turn back to the truth. He said, but you refused it. We're stubborn. We are stubborn. The problem is spiritual stubbornness leads to spiritual ineffectiveness. That's what's going on in our nation today. The church is too stubborn to repent and get back to the word to know it and to live it and to proclaim it uncompromisingly. It's a problem. God's righteousness and we fall short of that. In Daniel's prayer, we see the importance of confession, but you know, in the Lord's prayer, in the New Testament, the model prayer Jesus gave us, it also includes confession. Forgive us our trespasses. But you notice that? It's in the plural our trespasses. The corporate confession of God's people is essential to the spiritual health and the well-being of the church. We must confess sin. We must confess our own sin and we must confess our sin as the people of God. We have drifted from the Scripture and therefore God's calamity has come upon us and it's time to stop being stubborn and stop seeking our own answers and solutions and get back to the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. God's righteousness. The hindrance to revival that we are seeing is a failure on our part to truly repent of sin. We've got to return to Scripture. We've got to repent of sin. And finally, Daniel shows us we must revere the Savior. We've got to revere the Lord. We need to have a love and affection to Christ. That affection and that love demonstrated by obedience to the Word of the Lord. Not just saying, I love Jesus, but letting our actions demonstrate that truth. 
Letting the world know that we are Christians by loving one another. Unity amongst God's people is important. We revere the Savior, first of all, because of His commitment to His people. His commitment, verse 15. Now, O Lord our God, who have brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for Yourself. He delivered His people He saw Israel in bondage and captivity in Egypt. He heard their cry, and by God's power and by God's grace, He liberated those people. He delivered them from Egypt. He brought them across the Red Sea, brought them through the desert into the Promised Land. He provided for them manna and water from the rock. He provided His law. God freed His people. And God has done the same for us as the church. He has liberated us from sin through the death and the resurrection of His Son, Christ Jesus. We have been delivered by God's grace and by God's power. And as He made a name for Himself by delivering Israel, He made a name, the name that is above all names because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. The name above all names. His commitment to His people is proven by His sacrifice on our behalf. He loves us so much, He delivered us in spite of us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's committed to us. If you ever doubt God's committed to the church, you look to the cross. We revere the Savior because He's committed to us, but also His compassion for His people. That's why He went to the cross because He loved us, not because we deserved it. Far from it. We deserved the punishment that Christ received. But He took it from us because of His compassion. Notice in verses 16 through 18, all the pronouns your and our. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, Let now your anger, your wrath, turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, for because of our sins and iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications for your sake. O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Oh my God, include your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. You see, in the past, God had fought for Israel but now God was fighting against Israel. Could you imagine a more scary position to be in in this life? A scarier thought than to know you were on the opposing side of God. That instead of God fighting for you, that God is fighting against you. And that's what He was doing. Because His people had forsaken His Word. He was now fighting against them. But it was because of His compassion. You see, God loved them too much to see them continue a life of sin unabated. He brought His discipline in order to correct them. Problem was, they were so stubborn, they didn't see it. They didn't want to confess. They didn't want to acknowledge what they were doing is wrong. They wanted to justify it. They wanted to come up with their own ideas of right and wrong and morality 
And God said, that's fine. Just keep suffering then. Until you realize what you're doing and turn back to me. It's because of God's compassion we are disciplined. As a loving parent disciplines their children because they want what's best for their kids. God's discipline on us is for His compassion. Because, see, sin leads to punishment. Punishment leads to a hindered witness. That's why he's, he's, he's calling on God here to act because of His name, for your name's sake. A weakened church, a church that is weakened by sin, is a terrible witness to a lost and dying world. We look so much like the world anymore in the church that it's hard to know the difference. Is this a, a, a civic organization or, or is this a, a religious group? It's hard to tell anymore. Because we've aban- we, we have abandoned the supernatural truth of God's Word and settled on something else that we have concocted to try to fit in and compromise and be, be, be look, look just like everybody else in the world and let's adopt their worldview and turn our back on Scripture. And meanwhile, the nation goes down the toilet. Let's wake up, church. Let's appeal to His compassion. His reputation's on the line. Daniel was concerned for God's glory. He says, God, because we're Your people, and now we as Your people have been conquered. What's that communicate to the world? When the church is falling apart, and the church is fighting itself, and the church looks just like the world does, what's that say? It's Jesus. He doesn't make a difference. It's Jesus. He's no better than any other God that's out there. He's just one of many. Because of the failure of the church, we have, we have, we have shamed the name of Christ our Savior. Are you concerned for the glory of God or for your own little kingdom? What's your motive? What drives you? What do you pursue? What's your passion? It's God's people... As they open their eyes and their ears to the Lord, He will do the same in return. So the Lord, hear. Lord, respond. But first, God's people need to come back to Him. He appeals to God's loving kindness. God, we don't deserve it one lick. But forgive us. And notice, at the end of verse 18, it's one of the most profound statements in this entire prayer. Daniel says, for we are not presenting our supplications before you on, any, on account of any of merits of our own. We have nothing to stand on, God. We're sinners. We're wicked. We've, we, we have transgressed. We have committed iniquity. God, it's not any righteousness of our own, but on account of your great compassion. God, that's the only hope we have to stand on, is that you're a compassionate God. That you're a loving God, a merciful God, a God who desires to forgive, a God who wants to forgive. A God who out of love has revealed the truth to us and out of love says embrace the truth and I will embrace you. You see, Adam and Eve lost faith in God's Word in the garden because God said, don't eat the fruit of this tree. They didn't trust God. They ate it anyway. A lack of faith plunged humanity and creation under this curse of sin that we are suffering under today. A lack of faith caused this. The only solution, get back to faith. 
Return to faith and trust in what God has revealed. It's the only hope we have. God's compassion for His people. Finally, God's covenant with His people. Daniel appeals to His faithful love. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. You can just hear Daniel's heart breaking. He says, For your own sake, O my God, do not delay. You can just see the the sense of fervency in his prayer and the urgency by which God, I plead, you do this. Please do it now. Don't delay. O Lord, hear and respond. Because he's seeking God to do what only God could do. The only hope we have, God, is if you act. It's the only hope we got. Oh Lord, do this in the hearts of your people because you're the only one that can right the ship. And he appeals to God's covenant. God has delivered his people. He's a compassionate God. And he says, now God, based on that covenant you have with us, oh my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. God, your name is on the line. If you don't forgive us, if you don't restore your people, your name, your glory is at stake. If the church does not repent and get back to what the church, the people of God need to be, God's name and God's glory is on the line. God, do this in our hearts. Do this in our lives. Do this in our country, God, for your name's sake. We need you, God, to do something that we don't deserve. We need you to do something only you can do. Oh, God, hear, forgive, listen, take action. His character His faithfulness. Daniel appealing to that. As a church, we are the people of God. We are called by His name. We're called Christians. It's for His sake, for His glory, that His covenant remains. His faithfulness, our security rest upon His faithfulness and goodness towards us in Christ Jesus. So let's restore hope to our nation by recognizing and repenting of the church's sins. Because sin is a problem, it's a hindrance. A few months back, Logan had to do a science fair project and he did it on friction. You know, how two forces keep something from moving. And for his project, he had a, a shoebox and blew up a balloon and, and tried to make the, the balloon move the shoebox on the floor. And it, it wouldn't move because there was friction. There were two surfaces rubbing against one another. And so to, to fix the friction problem, to reduce the friction, he took straws and put it on the floor. And what he found out, the more straws on the floor, the less friction and the more the box would move. So that was his discovery. Well, the church cannot advance in our culture because of the friction of sin. Sin is weighing us down. And the only way the church is going to move is by the collective straws of our individual prayers. As I pray 
confession and repentance for my sin and the sins of the church. And if you do that, and if you do that, and if he does that, and if she does that, collectively, the more prayers of repentance we have together, the less friction of sin there will be, and the more progress we will see the church making in our culture. But we've got to do something about this sin problem. We've got to acknowledge it's there, agree with God it's there, appeal to God's compassion, God's grace. We've got to appeal to the cross and the blood of Christ and pray that God will right the spiritual ship of the church in America before it's too late for our nation. You see, if the United States doesn't get back in line, God will find another nation. He's done it throughout the history of the church. But it's my prayer that we realize what's going on as the people. We, like Daniel, will humble ourselves admit to our own faults, admit to the shortcomings of the church. We, we own it. It's not just them liberals. It's not just them conservatives. We own it. God, we've sinned. We've blown it. But you're a gracious God. In fact, you, you're a God. You're the God of the covenant. You won't break your word. You can't break your promise. We belong to you. God, do something in our midst today. In fact, our only hope is heaven's help. We want to talk about hope. The only hope we have as a nation is heaven's help. We're going to have an altar call today. We have one every week. I don't really try to twist arms and, and impress people to do that. I leave that between you and God. But I can't help but think today that there is sin in our lives and there, there is sin in the church and in our nation today that we need to confess and we need to repent. And here in a moment when the altar call is given, if you feel led to pray for your sins or pray for the sins of the church or the sins of the nation, come and drop to your knees. And let's pray. What's missing in our prayers today, I believe, is the anguish over sin. Our hearts are not broken over the state of the church. And until our hearts are broken, we're not going to pray with fervency and urgency like Daniel did. Now's the opportunity. God is calling to us through the word of His prophet one more time. Let's don't harden our hearts. Let's open our ears. Hear the truth and let the truth of God change us. The way we live. The way we love. And the way we witness. Father God,